Today, I am keeping another promise to the American people by nominating Judge Neil Gorsuch of the United States Supreme Court to be of the United States Supreme Court. Welcome to Politix, a podcast about US politics which will be mistaken decades from now as satire. It is the first day of February 2017. We're on the 11th day of the Trump administration. My name's Tim Batt from New Zealand and I'm joined as always by Jeb Lund from America. How are you, Jeb? I'm, uh, you know, I'm pleased to report from the occupied states of America. I was feeling pretty down this morning and then I found out that, uh, Beyonce and her husband, uh, two people of whose wealth is completely unimaginable to me, again, successfully mm-hmm. had sexual intercourse. Um, yeah. And, you know, based on their entire life of having zero material relationship to me other than attempting to extract money from me in exchange for products of no real utility. Um, you know, Based on that, I think we've won. You know, the war's over. Let's go home. God damn it, Jeb. You boiled down what was a beautiful announcement that Beyonce and Jay-Z are having twins and in the middle of this quagmire that is Trump's destruction of the earth and you turned it into something dirty and something cheap and I won't have it. They're artists, they bring art into the world and they had sex and I'll bet the sex was hot too. I'll bet it was hot sexy sex and I for one am stoked. Look, I just want to know where where was the sticky blog post? Where was the virality when when I had a kid? Where were people saying like, listen, you know, we've got a problem with... uh, uh, you know, our community policing no longer, uh, you know, featuring police in our communities. Uh, but, you know, Jeb's kid is here. So everything is good now. We're all fine. When We're we- all fine near now. How are you? How many Grammys? How many Grammys have you got, Jeb? It's a Grammy. Jethro Tull won best heavy metal artist over fucking Metallica. <laughs> Remember, Homer's, Homer Simpson threw a... No, no, no. He gave it to a bellhop and the bellhop threw the, the Grammy over the... Uh, over the balcony and hit somebody and then that guy threw it back i mean that's that's the grammy right there we're on day 11 uh things have been going south faster than i think anyone thought possible we've got a couple of things we want to talk about today um jeb i'm possibly throwing you under the bus here but i wanted to launch in by just having a bit of a cursory look over some of the Trump administration picks who are currently going through Senate confirmation. Um, and I, I, I'm a little bit confused as to where these things are at. Um, I hadn't warned you ahead of time we were going to talk about this, but I thought that uh, Betsy DeVos, who is Trump's nomination for education secretary, had already been confirmed. But then I just saw a story pop up in Vox that she might actually not get confirmed after all because they might not have the numbers. Do you know where that is at right now? Um, so Lisa Murkowski and uh, Susan Collins, so of, of Alaska and Maine, respectively, have signaled that they may not vote for her. So if it's 52 to 48. And they're both Republicans. Yes. And so if you it, that would leave it at 50-50 if the Democrats vote as a block and you don't get a Democrat sabotaging this because they want to, uh, you know, they're, they're up for a tough reelection in 2018. Um, yeah. So, but there would you would still need another convert, or you would hope that you can just maintain the stalemate long enough, and that the the apostate Republicans don't break ranks and say, "Well, this is stupid," uh, and then you would get somebody else. I mean, and like the really grim way of reading it is, okay, so you block Betsy DeVos, she can still just go ahead and dump thirty million dollars into some local race in some state and ruin it just as much yeah. as she ruined Michigan. So uh, let's talk about Betsy DeVos in a little bit of depth. She's a multi-billionaire. How did her family get all that money? Our family founded Amway, which is a pyramid scheme. Um, <laughs> that's uh, literally what it is. <laughs> yeah. So um, We can dress it up, but that, that's, that's what it is. Uh, and uh, so she, she's also related by marriage to, uh, to Eric Prince, who is the founder of Blackwater, um, home of, of your you know Iraqi whacking mercenaries. Uh, the DeVos family has uh, Betsy DeVos, and I can't I, I can't remember the exact quote off the top of my head. Uh, said something like, "I am probably the largest donor, or or my family is probably the largest single donor to the Republican Party. If you want to call that influence buying, go right ahead." Or something to that effect, where it was just very nakedly like, "Look, I'm buying the ability to rewrite the government here. Uh, let's not kid ourselves." Um, they there's something refreshing about that kind of clarity about what's going on, no? 
it is when somebody is like just so genuinely evil that they figure that it you know their evilness will get them around anything but she seems I you know she seems like a legitimately stupid human being so it may just be that she didn't think she was on the record or she was talking to the wrong person at the wrong time or in just got geeked up on some, uh, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever the equivalent of like a billionaire's version of an LL Bean catalog is for destroying public education. Probably that. <laughs> but the thing is, she's also not wrong. No, no. I mean, like, you I, know, like I, that statement on its face is definitely politically not an intelligent thing to say if you're going for a public position, which she probably didn't know was even a possibility in her future. But um, but it's also not incorrect. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, more power to her if she wants to keep clarifying the issue for people who don't understand how this works. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to stop her. Um, but uh, yeah, no, so the, the other things from her family, they've, they've uh, donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to uh, uh, some Christian group that that I can't, I can't remember what its name was. I wrote about this in a, uh, a piece for Rolling Stone a couple of years ago. But uh, basically trying to I, I think the quote was like trying to, to bring back like the, uh, the robust uh, Christianity of the fourth century, which is I mean, if you're Jesus not Christ, if you're not. Yeah, like a Semitic person living in North Africa or, or a citizen of Rome, that's pretty much and a man. You know, that's pretty much a raw deal for you. Um, mm. And, and quite ve- like not to put too fine a point on little particulars of it as well, but obviously vehemently anti uh, gay as well and lbgtqi yeah i don't think you can be anything else if you're trying to bring back fourth century christianity um and now, then on on top of that i just will add for the sports fans yeah. here they own the orlando magic and um basically got the city of orlando you know in in, in typical uh, uh job creator form they got the city of orlando to pony up hundreds of millions of dollars in bonds that were within, I think, two years rated junk. So the city of Orlando floated these bonds to buy these billionaires in arena, and uh, they fucked it up. Um, the, the city did. Anybody who, who voted or like signaled approval for that did. And of course, uh, um, they, you know, they just have really, really not done a great job managing this team. I, I live within two hours of the arena, and I think I have seen one billboard for the existence of an NBA franchise in my town in my life. And there are only about 2 million people who live here. Oh, boy. And from a policy point of view, the reason why um, so many people are so uniquely scared about Betsy DeVos being in charge of education is that she has made a career of being a, uh, what do you call it over there? School choice is what you call your charter school advocates, isn't it? Or, or charter school advocates, but school choice is the way that the uh, Republican Party chose to frame it. So it, it basically sounded like we were giving an option to people who are trapped in a, a broken and corrupt system, um, you know, as opposed to describing what it is, which is a way of creating a, a vertically integrated industry for, uh, you know, private investors uh, in the education sphere. So what she did, what many states don't allow is in, in Michigan they allow uh, for-profit charters and uh, they pretty much across the board underperform public schools. So here you have the the vitality of the market intervening to innovate ways of teaching kids and deliver money upward to people while kids fail even the standards of what is supposedly a sclerotic and broken public school system. And there's like a plethora of, um, uh, even in the cases where charter schools are outperforming public schools, there's a whole raft of kind of social consequences that happen if you start to introduce it on a mass scale into a, a, a system as big as the US education system, right? Like you, you take sort of all of the students um, who are performing really badly and kind of ghetto-wise a, a whole school district. Well, it, de- it depends on how you implement it. And that's that's something that can happen where you take uh, you basically take, you know, you pitch this I mean, the way that they sell it in the South, at least is look, you know, uh, thanks to segregation, the schools in the black area parts of town still underperform the ones in the white parts of town. You are trapped in this system that underserves you. So instead of instead of using extra funds to try to bring up uh, some you know, to get better teachers or, or better resources in schools that have been 
deliberately neglected. And, and like one of the easiest ways to do that is you just make sure that you allocate less to all schools in a county system. And then you rely on the white schools to hold bake sales from stay at home moms to raise money <laughs> to buy resources that then, you know, then you don't have like a, 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 you know, an uneven or unequal allocation of resources across the county. You just have the white folks picking up the slack and the black folks just rot. So you take that and you say, you you sell them on the fact that you can get your kids out of these bad schools and into these great charters, and then you stack the charters with, you know, 90% well-performing kids, 8% underperforming kids, and then just, you know, the, the, the ones that do well propel you up on the test. You don't actually help anybody. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the ways that it, it flows downward in terms of implications nationally or, or socially are, you know, the manifold. You've got essentially the destruction of teachers' unions. That's a big goal. A lot yeah, of charters yeah. are basically chartered to save as much money as possible. So they hire people that the teachers union won't embrace because they lack qualifications. Um, you know, and then there, there's the matter of, well, who's choosing their, you know, what kind of materials do they have and who's choosing it? Uh, the, the ideal yeah. situation, if you're an investor in these sorts of things, is you invest in a company that makes textbooks you investigate you invest in a company that builds charter schools and supplies for charter schools and then you invest in a company that makes the tests that you use to chart the charter school's performance and you invest in a company that trains people to teach the tests and another one that trains people to interpret them and then basically you've created a whole bunch of vectors for making lots of money out Good of god of the education yeah. of children yeah what a time to be alive um so it, it, her nomination isn't set in stone yet. If you um, had to make a call on it right now, what does your gut tell you? Is she going to get confirmed? She's been so embarrassing that I think that's a safe thing for um, Murkowski and, and Collins. And they they seem to have, I mean, they, they do this, I swear, like, I swear if Susan Collins sometimes does this if she's just bored or people aren't talking to her a lot because, they're, <laughs> you know, like once or twice a year, there's always that thing of like, well, Susan Collins disagrees. She might be a normal adult. And then she turns right around and, and folds. But, um, I, you know, I could see this being a gimme. She she plagiarized her answers to the committee uh, you know, when, when she was submitting questionnaires to the committee uh, that was vetting her she fucking God plagiarized damn. like how can you run the nation's schools when you're like listen kids if if it's hard for you to do the work just go to the britannica and write down all the stuff that sounds reasonably plausible let's float some other names as well uh steve mnuchin who is uh trump's pick for secretary of the treasury who's a another one of the former goldman sachs um hedge fund managers who's kind of swanning in um to help drain the swamp obviously so he he hasn't been confirmed yet either is that correct oh actually it looks like he has i've just googled him this has happened in the last few hours it looks like he has been approved by senate committee uh, no so the committee it's committee but not the vote and what happened there oh was i see the democrats were trying to to slow the committee down and slow this process down and taking a a, a cue from the mcconnell playbook from 2009 and in typical fashion, uh, the Republicans said, "Well, fuck the rules then," and and just said, "Well, you know, they're 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 through committee, they're done," uh, which is going right. to keep happening when you've got one one side that's going to stand there and go, "Well, look at these people breaking the rules; they ought to be ashamed of themselves," and then the other side going, "Who who gives a shit?" Steve Mnuchin was a um, head of one of the Federal Reserve Banks, I think, somewhere in the States. And there's a pretty powerful ad that's circulating um, about a woman who had a house that got foreclosed on by a bank that he was running at the time um, in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, which I'll I'll play in one of these breaks. But um, it's just another example of the hypocrisy of this, the Trump picks that are coming in off the back of this Drain the Swamp stuff. And it is just the richest, most moneyed up Goldman Sachs flavored group of people that you could ever meet in your life. It is brazen. Yeah, no, he, this, this guy was a, a foreclosure king and the, he was not, his company was not alone in that in 2009 and in, in 2008 and I guess the end of 2007 of just... Uh, you know, we had a thing here in Florida up in uh, Jacksonville in the northeastern part of the state called the Rocket Docket, where you had these companies just printing out uh, just 
you know, in the same way that the U.S. prints dollar bills, just here's your foreclosure notice. You have less than a week to appear on this docket and contest a thing uh, against a company that you've never heard of because when you got your loan, uh, you, you, you got your loan through this bank that turned around and sold that note to three different companies and now it's in the possession of, you know, X LLC or X Limited or whatever that is now just going to boot you out. And so a lot of people had this experience and, and he is one of the people who is responsible for that. Um, Which has but, contributed to him now having a net worth of half a billion dollars. Yeah, but like hypocrisy isn't going to stop these people. It's the same thing like, you know, whenever, you know, I know it's vicariously thrilling to have the Daily Show have somebody like Steve Mnuchin say, I really care about people. And then they run a clip of Steve Mnuchin saying, well, fuck people from six years ago. But, you know, if, if that was going to stop anybody... John Kerry would have been president from 2005 to 2009. You know, we wouldn't have had a President Obama. Uh, they don't care. And and this presumption that they can be shamed into halting what they're doing is something that, uh, unfortunately, has not exited the, the, the Democratic side of the U.S. Congress. Um, they, speaking of which, Tom Price is probably a good name to insert into this conversation because he's a guy who's been facing... Uh, some questions and a little bit of embarrassment during his Senate confirmation questioning. Um, what's his deal? He basically is going to completely gut the Affordable Care Act. Congressman from Georgia, if I remember correctly, and, and he uh, he introduced a bill that would have immunized a company from uh, an investigation that would have depressed its stock price. And then he was able, before he introduced that bill, to buy into the company as an investor. As I, I think the, the reasoning was that it was sort of like an invite-only option. But conspicuously there weren't hundreds and hundreds of people who were offered this it was him and, and only maybe a half a dozen others if i remember correctly uh, and then that company turned around and donated substantially to his re-election effort the next time he was uh the next time he ran so and i i also believe that 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 was not the only company that he had this relationship with but that's one of my I, I maybe you're in the same boat i think i only have about 35 to 50 open tabs at any given moment <laughs> and just for reference as well because we didn't mention it earlier um tom price is uh, trump's pick for health and human services secretary and it's um easy to remember that his uh scandals is to do with sort of insider trader flavored things because price is right there in the name so um, I'm thankful for that convenience. It's a good little <laughs> mnemonic that they've built in. And uh, you wanted to talk about Jeff Sessions. Should we get into this now? Should we take a quick break before we really dig into the meat of uh, Jeffrey? What is it? Beauregard? What is this big Jefferson, fancy West? Jefferson Beauregard uh, Sessions the third. So Jefferson Davis, PGT Beauregard, two great Confederate heroes. Uh, and and he wants to be the attorney general, and he has a really great track record of uh, keeping black people from voting. So, more on that right after this. Mrs. DeVos, have you ever taken out a student loan from the federal government to help pay for college? I have not. Uh, have any of your children had to borrow money in order to go to college? They have been fortunate not to. Uh-huh. Have you had any personal experience with a Pell Grant? Uh, not personal experience, but certainly friends and um, students with whom I've worked. So you have, have no personal experience with college financial aid or management of higher education. Mrs. DeVos, then let's start with the basics. Do you support protecting federal taxpayer dollars from waste, fraud, and abuse? Absolutely. Oh, good. So do I. Welcome back to Politics with two disembodied voices named Tim and Jeb talking about a disempowered American proletariat. Uh, we're talking AG now, Jeb. Attorneys General. Uh, I love words that do that, by the way. Words that have like the plural bit at the start when they're a two-parter and then yeah. the second part of the word is not a plural. Oh, I love them. Attorneys General is so good. There, there's a, to my ears. There's an old onion gag that I didn't realize that I, I probably like unintentionally cribbed. Somebody busted me on it and I deleted it on Twitter like shortly thereafter. But it, it's... Uh, um, William Sapphire, who was a speechwriter for Nixon and uh, for um, uh, what's his vice president, Spiro Agnew, uh, and who allegedly was the guy who, who um, uh, coined the phrase uh, about the press that they are nattering nabobs of negativism. Um, there's a uh, there's a, an Onion article where it's like William Sapphire uh, at you know William Sapphire at Burger King orders two Whoppers Junior. 
<laughs> I love it. I love that shit. And I love that this has come up recently in the news, um, but maybe not for the reason, because we've had several attorneys general in a very short amount of time. Loretta Lynch obviously completed her term um, when the Obama administration ended on January 20th, and Sally Yates came in as acting AG um, while they sorted out whether or not Jeff Sessions was going to get confirmed. Then we had... um, the Muslim ban, and I am going to call it that because that's what it is. Um, both Trump and Steve Bannon signaled their intention for what this was going to be ages ago, and they called it a Muslim ban, so I'm going to call it a Muslim ban too. So they brought that in. Um, Sally Yates, the acting Attorney General, uh, voiced her concern, and if memory serves, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeb, she, what she said is that the um, her department would not be providing any defence to the action because she wasn't comfortable that it was legal. And off the back of that, she was fired by Trump. Yeah, and that's well within her right. So one of the things that the kind of right wing commentary wants to do about this is Trump is well within his right to fire her. And that's true. But the bigger issue is that he's firing her for doing what is her job. Uh, You know, you have limited resources when you are running a government agency. And one of the things you don't want to do is throw good money after bad. In this case, this law had already failed uh, it had gone 0 for 5 in federal court. So she can either take the resources available to the Department of Justice and and throw them away trying to defend something that by, you know, again, five different courts is saying is going to be indefensible or she can do her job in a practical way. I think it just allowed her an opportunity to go out on her own terms. I don't know how calculating she was in doing it, but the, the end result was... Um, a lot more beneficial than I think uh, people might have realized because the the response to her doing that again well within the bounds of, of her office and you know what what she'd pledged to do when when actually grilled by Jeff Sessions in the Senate when they were trying to confirm her was say I will you know I will uphold the law and I will not use my my power to pursue laws that I think are fundamentally flawed uh, and indefensible um, but when she left, the, the Trump administration response was to say that she had betrayed, uh, you know, the, the Department of Justice. And it's all this sort of like very clearly uh, gossipy, dramatic and, mm. and uh, bitchy uh, tone that signals Donald Trump wrote this or Donald Trump dictated this because, you know, you've got yeah. these statements and she's very, very weak on, you know, immigration issues and, uh, you know, this vetting is not extreme at all. And that was exactly how he sold it for the entire campaign, extreme vetting. And that's how they sold this uh, executive order. So immediately it's, well, it's not extreme, but she's very weak. She's very weak. She's very bad. She betrayed us. And that's, it, you know, I, I know that it, these are really small things and are not going to lead to victories, but that is yeah. so wildly and stupidly unprofessional. Yeah. And more and th- to the pl- this is no, I'm yeah, sorry, sorry keep it. going. No, 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 no. Well, just to kind of take like a, a more broad look at this thing, and um, this is obviously not a new thought, but just to put a highlighter under this, the seven countries that we're talking about, uh, Libya, Iraq, Iran, Sudan, Syria, Somalia, and Yemen, and the noted reason is to reduce terrorism. And those are not the countries where people who are committing terrorist acts or attempting to commit terrorist acts are coming from getting into America. Like it's just the the sort of on the face brazenness and the boldness of the lying that's coming out of there so early on is super duper disconcerting. Well, and so there, there are two other things. One, uh, the Cato Institute, which is not a friend to liberalism or to leftism by any stretch of the imagination. It's a libertarian think tank. Uh, but they are a great resource if you're reading uh, Panic about what's in your drugs. Uh, Cato, Cato and Reason will always have a good article about that. Um, uh, I'm not really sure why. Um, but Cato you know, went and, and looked, and not a single American has been uh, killed by a citizen from any of those countries in a terror attack in the last 30 years. Uh, conversely, you look at the countries that are not on the list, um, and they are countries in which... Uh, uh, we know for a fact, you know, even without his full tax return uh, release, we know that Donald Trump has business interests in the countries, Arab countries that are not on the list or Muslim yeah. countries that are not and, on the list. And then the, the mean, bigger, the, the one that's got to be at the top of that is Saudi Arabia. And he's just put Rex Tillerson in as the secretary of state, a man whose sole professional life, his entire 
adult life has been spent at Exxon. It's like (laughs) the conflicts are, are pretty intense, pretty baffling. And the fact that you can invoke a reasoning of terrorism for this and not include Saudi Arabia on the list, it's just like... This is why people are talking about the Orwellian language and stuff, because everything, if you don't kind of listen to what they're saying, but you just watch what they're doing, seems very obvious. And then what they will come out and say is commentary to the actions is the complete opposite of what you're observing with your own eyes. And it creates a very unsettling psyche, not just for Americans, but we are feeling it everywhere. Well, and then I mean, the, you, you're right to point out the... Um the Saudi terror connection, because obviously, you know, we, we had Saudi citizens responsible for frying 3,000 Americans. Uh, but then on top of that, you put Saudi Arabia on the list and you don't you, you don't put Saudi Arabia the, on the list. You put Yemen on the list. Meanwhile, we are materially aiding Saudi Arabia on the ground uh, in basically bombing the fuck out of the Yemeni people. Um, so you're basically... you're taking a a, an existing bad actor and ignoring them while they are actively creating the problem in yemen that you are allegedly trying to avoid that's the sad thing as well with a lot of this right like the countries that are on this list and it's important to kind of keep reminding yourself because the word like refugee keeps being used in the news and i think people tend to disassociate what that actually is but that's a class of people who have managed to fit a very thin band of criteria of getting out of their country because the circumstances are so fucking dire and so fucked that escaping their home is the only chance they have at some sort of safety and security and is there an inherent risk in that that some people might be able to get through who can do harm yeah of course because there's risk in absolutely everything but if you look at any of the statistics about the kind of people who go crazy and start shooting up malls and cinemas and things i mean by and large they're american citizens these are these if we're going to focus on actually reducing terror start with actual science and information on who is committing it because it is not people from these countries and it's just like the anti-intellectualism and the anti-science and just the anti-evidence approach that's being applied to this shit is so awful when you couple it with the fact that these people who are being targeted by the administration and it's it's an easy way to sell papers so the you know the media can kind of get in behind it and luckily they haven't yet because there's just such a palpable hatred of trump but you know look things could change um but the the targeting of these people who are so fucked already that they're trying to seek refugee status in other countries just to live a simple life work hard raise their families and just be safe who have already undergone such hardship probably experienced family members dying all around them it's it's honestly heartbreaking and uh, you know i can't you know again like as much as i want to get into the haha the hypocrisy of it all um i know you know really nobody who who doesn't already agree with me is listening uh so the only thing like uh, the the heartbreak thing for me uh you know in addition to what you're saying is you know these people are running from problems that we were happy to engineer and not really worry about what happened afterward. Um, yeah, totally. You know, you, know, you can you can take it back all the way to the Sykes Picot Agreement after World War One and say this is when we started fucking with these these people, and then we had our intelligence agencies fucking with Syrian government as early as the fifties, um, and then you have these satellite states that we have we have intervened to fuck with many many times, even bef- well before the creation of ISIS. Um, which you know like that 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 tragedy um doesn't have to have one father we can we can attribute many fathers to the birth of that that nightmare but um the fact that we're now saying like just you know stay here trapped um in in a war zone uh because we've decided it's just a lot easier to scare the shit out of everybody by using a picture of you than alleviate um you know the fact that like this historic city that you live in that used to have many hospitals now has zero and it's flat and you were, you and your family are being hunted because we felt and, like just seeing what we could do. And it almost seems redundant to point this out, but this is how you actually create terrorists and terrorism. 
this is how you radicalize people. This is how you create fodder for organizations like ISIS to pass around. But anyway, we did have a starting point for this, which is talking about the forthcoming AG that Trump's trying to get in, which is Jeff Sessions. So all of this kicked off because Sally Yates refused to um, throw her weight behind supporting this executive action that, um, well, let's not beat around the bush, Bannon had written and um, Trump enacted as president. So uh, she got fired. Uh, we've got a guy who's acting in there at the moment called Dana Buente, who no one seems to um, know too much about just yet. But Jeff Sessions is the guy who um, Trump has picked to come in as Attorney General, uh, which seems like quite a departure from Loretta Lynch, who was Obama's AG, that's for sure. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions III? Well, I mean, just the name, like like we said, you don't. I mean, like now that that can be reflective of your your parents, obviously, um, and the fact that maybe he goes by Jeff is a, is a way of of actually shamefacedly distancing himself from being named Jefferson Beauregard Sessions. But I don't buy it. Um, he hot uh, take from Jeb. He, he well, look, this guy could not get a, a federal judgeship in the '80s because even in the '80s, we considered him too racist. So now he's going to be the attorney general uh, in spite of the fact that the federal government already ruled on this guy. And based on the information, that was enough. Um, he uh, he famously said he didn't think the Klan was bad until he found out that they smoked pot. He uh, you know was happy to demonize the, the NAACP as basically a communist organization. He used his discretion in Alabama to um, prosecute black activists who were uh, engaging in get out the vote bundling basically like registering to vote registering people to vote uh he prosecuted a a bunch of of famous uh alabama black activists and went after zero white people despite the fact that white organizers have been doing that every bit as much for every you know every bit as long um and uh coretta scott king uh dr martin luther king jr's wife sent a letter to the Senate that was not read into the evidence. Um, he was voted down anyway. This is in the 80s. But, uh, you know, she she lays out, you can read it in the Washington Post um, and a few other places. It's it's fairly clear on the, the litany of, of charges against him. And um, this is a guy who in the recent years has celebrated uh, Chris Kobach, the uh, Kansas Secretary of State's exclusion of, of Muslims and uh, targeting of, of Muslims and and. Uh, I I don't know why I'm blanking on the right term right now. Right. Undocumented immigrants. Undocumented, thank you. Um and uh and uh, Alabama uh passed a similar measure and and he uh he championed that. And he's, you know, this isn't a guy who is who like just got spontaneously offered the job by Donald Trump. He was an early uh a member of the Trump bandwagon. He was one of the first uh in fact of of elected officials in the US. So uh, he, he th- this wore the guy, goddamn hat. He had a mega hat on. Yeah. No, I mean, this guy is not just like somebody who's, you know, he's not pulling a Romney like, well, you know, the president might be in over his head. I have a lot of experience on Capitol Hill. I would love to be able to help him out. He's with the program and and he started early. Uh, He's a believer. And when you couple that with his comments about the NAACP, the Klan and the discretion that he uh, he exercised in Alabama. Fuck him. No. Like any, any Democrat you, who votes for this guy should be primaried within an inch of their lives. Well, I want to ask you just a slightly more global question. How important is the position of attorney general in the States? Like to be head of the J- Justice Department, how how much directional power does that person have? Uh, well, he can he can prosecute, quote unquote, voter fraud. So he can... Uh, uh, he can target communities that already have underrepresentation in being registered and make it more difficult for them to be registered. And no coincidence that that's going to be black people. Um, he uh, has huge latitude to basically pursue uh, DOJ investigations into local policing. So if you have a case, and The Intercept reported on this this week, that basically the FBI is now reluctant and has been for some time to share certain data with local police departments because they fear that they have been significantly compromised by white supremacist organizations. When those police departments go out and do um, evil shit to minorities, the the uh, you know he's not going to be like Eric Holder or Loretta Lynch going into uh, Ferguson and saying why is it that you're essentially 
you know, why are you essentially running a debtor's prison and using black people as like an ATM for asset forfeiture and uh, fining them to mm. bolster the local community coffers or go into Chicago like Loretta Lynch did and say, hey, you have this habit of using a fucking black site to illegally detain U.S. citizens in Chicago. Oh, man, I forgot about that. That was crazy. He's not going to do that. that story. That was fucking madness. Yeah. But like, you know, that that's that's the, the number one danger is he's not going to have any problem whatsoever with, with black sites or disenfranchising people or basically letting local go- local law enforcement exercise its discretion to figure out who's uppity and who needs to be knocked down. Good times. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back and either talk about Steve Bannon or the Democrats who are enabling this to happen in some way, shape or form. We'll decide right now. We had lived in our house 25 years. John got sick with cancer. Then the bank foreclosed on us. We did everything the bank asked. They lied to us and took our home anyway. John spent his last days terrified I'd be homeless. And then they kicked me out right after the funeral. Steve Mnuchin ran the bank that committed fraud and took our home. And now Donald Trump has nominated him to run our economy as Treasury Secretary. We can't let that happen. Welcome back to Politics. The Iron has been cast and we're going to talk about Steve Bannon, the man putting the ban in Bannon. Um, he is quickly becoming noted as potentially being the real president of the United States of America. And that might not be such a good thing. He is, His official position, I think, is chief strategist of the White House. And um, I just want to kick off, Jeb, by giving a little uh, broad view of this guy's life so far to bring us up to now. So he was born in Virginia in 53, so he's 63 years old now. Funnily enough, his parents were pro-union Irish Catholic Kennedy Democrats. So the apple has fallen pretty much the furthest from the tree that you can. He's got a degree in urban development, a master's in national security studies, and an MBA from Harvard. He spent his late uh, 20s and 30s in the Navy, and then he went to work at Goldman Sachs in the mergers and acquisitions bit, which in particular in the 80s, as you can imagine, is a pretty heady, aggressive place to be. Um, He got Goldman Sachs in the division that he was in to invest really heavily in media. So this guy's obviously had a fascination with the media for quite a long time. And this is the first time in his life where it um, sort of showed up in his 30s where he was at Goldman Sachs. He ended up starting his own investment bank, a little boutique bespoke investment bank with some buddies of his at Goldman Sachs in 1990 and they just started investing in specialised bits of media acquisitions Um, in 1993 he got made the acting director of a science project called Biosphere 2 and we don't have time to drill into all of the uh, events that happened in there but basically he faced a mutiny and a whole bunch of activists breaking into the science project because its original intent was researching uh, things like climate change and they were so nervous when they found out that this guy Steve Bannon was um, becoming involved with it that they staged a bit of a coup. Uh, In the mid-90s, he was up to his uh, second wife. They divorced two years later, spent the 90s and 2000s becoming more and more um, involved in media production and financing. Uh, He has 18 film production credits to his name, including the ironically titled uh, Undefeated, which is the Sarah Palin doco, and an ode to Reagan called In the Face of Evil. Um, 2008, he becomes a founding board member of Breitbart News, and when Andrew Breitbart died in 2012, he stepped in as the executive chair of the organisation. And my understanding is, and I could have this a bit wrong, Jeb, you might be able to fill in the gaps here, but Breitbart didn't used to be what it is now. Like My understanding is that Andrew Breitbart was a far more libertarian voice um, than this alt-right mouthpiece that both Bannon and Breitbart News has become subsequent to that. Yes and no. I mean, the thing with Breitbart and where Breitbart and Bannon significantly differ is Breitbart wanted to be invited to Washington cocktail parties. He wanted to be friends with these guys. And he did go to right. those cocktail parties. Um, so, you know, he, he would... Uh, I didn't write this line. Uh, my friend Dan O'Sullivan and I co-wrote an obituary for Breitbart in, that you can read uh, in the remnants of Gawker called Andrew Breitbart, Big Deal, Big Coronary, Big Corpse. Uh, 
um, basically about uh, how, you know, he would he would drop all these sort of terms like Frankfurt School and cultural, you know, you know, whatever the sort of things that you would hear, like if you if you'd gone to lefty college. You know, he liked to pepper his, these things because he wanted to play to the establishment seats. Bannon doesn't care. Um, and he just basically took what Breitbart was already doing, you know, because it was already a rancid race baiting shop. I mean, Breitbart uh, pushed really hard for the James O'Keefe story about acorn filled with uh, uh, right. sex slavers and pushed the idea that James O'Keefe was dressed like a pimp when, in fact, he wasn't. They were the ones who pushed... Um, the uh, so they 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 pushed hard for roasting acorn because acorn helped black people get out from predatory lending and help black people make sure that they they could you know register to vote and be involved in their communities all sorts of really nefarious shit. Uh, they also uh, <laughs> took down Shirley Sherrod uh, by by uh, running a limited amount of of um, audio of her talking about how she had grown up with a distrust of white people, but in working in government had been taught the value of, of empathizing with rural whites and that, you know, her whole career was a lesson in reaching out to and helping other people. They just took the first part of it and said, the real racists are black people. Um, right. So Breitbart has always sort of been what it is now, just maybe yeah, not quite as successful. Right before. Done it skillfully. Uh, right, right before Breitbart's heart killed him for the rest of us, um, he was he was pushing this. Well, we have a videotape of Barack Obama uh, that's going to end, you know, his 2012 shots because he is, uh, you know, it's going to prove that he hates white people and he's always been at war with them. And it was like a picture of him with a professor from law school who taught like a course that mentioned, you know, uh, like black people and and embracing. Uh, you know, left-wing organizing tactics or something. It was like such a thin yeah. fucking thing. Like it, it, was, it was sort of analogous to being like, listen, you're in favor of comets destroying the earth because I do have a ticket stub here that you once possessed for the film Deep Impact. <laughs> <laughs> so Breitbart was, uh, he was in charge of it right up until he left to become the campaign manager for Trump. And now he is... Um, officially the, tra- the chief strategist in the White House and he, he really seems to be in charge. I did miss a little tidbit as well earlier um, in the mid-90s uh, when he had a divorce from Mary Picard. There was there's some real dark shit around that that um, she reported domestic violence um, basically when they were going through their divorce and then there are allegations that both Steve Bannon and his lawyer um, were intimidating uh, his his ex-wife to the point uh, where she didn't turn up to court um, on their threats so that she couldn't sort of fulfill her own legal defense there and she she like got out of state so real dark weird awful shit and this is a dude who it's recently come out is going to be sitting in on the principles committee at the national security council and i, th- I and i'm I've got a fuzzy memory of hearing this on a podcast somewhere, but I think to do that, they had to kick someone out who was like the chief of JSOC. So the, the principles committee meetings will now always feature him, but they, the Trump administration made it clear that the director of national intelligence and the chairman of the joint chiefs will not attend every uh, principles committee meeting. So, uh, and this is, this is big in I mean, ordinarily, you might just think this is sort of bureaucratic maneuvering, but this is big because Donald Trump is one of those people. A lot of people who've worked with him have said this. It's very clear from watching him tweet out things about what we must do in Chicago about the gang violence and then citing these statistics. And then you go back and look and five minutes earlier, those exact same statistics were being flashed on the O'Reilly factor on Fox News. This is <laughs> right. a guy who does whatever the last person he talked to told him. Because he has yeah. the attention span of a mayfly, he might be demented, and it, I really do believe that he he is at least you know just sort of conventionally senile. So this guy just booted out two people whose basic uh, uh, you know allegiances are always going to be to the United States first and the political fortunes of Donald Trump second, if they exist at all. So there's that dangerous aspect to it um, where. You know, now you've got this guy who's going to have always going to have purchase on on, you know, the last uh, the last tread of conversation that Donald hears after he exits these meetings. 
and it's always going to be him. He is the man who's always going to be in the room. And he's got a really dark kind of view of the world and what America's place is in it. I've been reading some quotes that he had from his radio show he was doing up until quite recently, um, him chatting with different guests and talking about why should we intervene with refugee programs? Why should we be taking any refugees whatsoever? Why couldn't that money be used instead of to... Um, spend the time to vet refugees coming into this country and place them why can't that be spent on Americans who are already here and just this this blind this lack of acknowledgement that there even is a rest of the world except to plunder and go to war with there's a quote that he had in the Hollywood Reporter um, which was a recent one that people may be familiar with and he said darkness is good Dick Cheney, Darth Vader, Satan that's power it only helps us when they get it wrong, when they're blind to who we are and what we're doing. Yeah. That's terrifying. The they that he was talking about in that quote as well um, is, you know, the liberal media. And the fact that he is this self-styled prince of darkness who's already grabbing the cloak of comparing himself literally to Satan. So he kind of takes all the wind out of the sails of people making that comparison is... It, it just kind of begs the question of like, okay, cool. So where do we go from here? Like, how how do you how do you take down a man who's comparing himself to Darth Vader and Satan? Like, what is the strategy there? Because this is a dude who believes that a war with America and China is imminent within the next five to ten years. This is a guy who has no global view in terms of how America can be helping other countries. He seems to be drafting the vast majority of these huge uh, pieces of executive orders that are ruffling so many feathers in the states and across the world at the moment like and because he was never elected or voted on or vetted he was just brought in like what is the counter to someone like steve bannon well the russian answer would be um i mean you just take like any one of the things they tried to do to rasputin but it's the same idea you know, it's this, this unaccountable svengali uh, you left out a ton of stuff too. Um, in addition to abusing his wife, he allegedly told his. I mean, he he had uh, he underreported by hundreds and hundreds of I think three quarters of a million dollars his revenue. Uh, right, didn't know that. And uh, what, this is during the divorced, court proceedings when they had, were getting divorced to determine how much she would get. I I assume. Yeah, he had uh, he had no interest in parenting, so that what, that's what makes Breitbart's commitment to family values so much fun. Again, like this is a hypocrisy thing. I mean, God knows if it goes anywhere, but you know, he yeah. he allegedly you know told his kids when like their mom didn't show up to something, like, "Oh, your mom's dead. She's not. She's never coming back again." Yeah, and then he that said, "Oh, well, that's just documents. a joke." Uh, and he, there were also some pretty choice quotes of him um, getting very nervous about what schools his daughters were going to go to because they were packed with Jews. Yes, and uh, there was there was a a reference at least a couple of them to whiny Jews and what influence they would have on his kids. Yeah. He didn't want them attending a private school that had, um, Jews and he recommended, uh, parochial schools because that would keep the Jews out. That would weed out that factor. He also, when he was the editor of Breitbart, they ran a front page, big banner headline, uh, when Bill Crystal, who's Jewish, uh, was criticizing. He was an openly critical of Donald Trump very early. They ran a big banner headline that said, Bill Crystal colon renegade Jew. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> they got um, a bit of attention at least. So like I, I think really what is probably, you know, if you if you're gonna have to hope for something to sink this guy, it's probably gonna be that basically he and everybody else in there, these guys are idiots. Um I, I know it's really tempting <laughs> to go I mean there there's no shortage of people who have absolutely no historical credentials whatsoever who just finished their copy of Alan Bullock's abridged Hitler, a study in tyranny to tell you what the playbook is going to be like from here on out. But you know, they're, they're making a big mistake, which is one, they're forgetting that the original Nazis were fucking idiots too. But you know, two, like they're, they're trying to read this, this 12 dimensional chess. I think that's actually a phrasing that one of them used. And, and these guys are fucking up. Like let's go to the attorney general thing. Wait until sessions is confirmed. <laughs> and then pass and then issue your executive order for a Muslim that's ban. So, yeah, that's so right. Why Instead, the fuck wouldn't you wait the like two weeks if that to get him in place before you make a play like that? Exactly. And, and you know, now you've also given the Democrats a talking point and something to ask Jeff Sessions about because they're going to want to go through the process of asking him more questions again 
to determine how he would rule on this sort of executive order. Because now you have something concrete that his president has already expressed a willingness to do. And you can say, tell us what your jurisprudence is on this. And then you have a you, you now have a plausible reason to oppose him besides racism, which that, you know, like racism is one of those things where if you know you're, you're not on the left in, in this country, you hear it and your brain just sort of shuts off and you go, well, liberals always cry that they're always seeing racism where it isn't. This is actually something that happened that you can argue mm. on the law. So why, why the fuck did they rush it? You know, and then they give uh, Yates, a, you know, an ability to grandstand. If they just wait until Sessions is in, then the opposition is happening after they've started this process. Then you can look at how they executed the process. Did they in, inform Andrew Cuomo, uh, Chris Christie, uh, and, and local law enforcement in New York that this was going to happen at their airports? Did they inform... Uh, officials near Dulles? Did they inform, inform officials near San Francisco and, and Seattle and Los Angeles? They didn't. So what happened was you didn't have an established police presence on the day mm. they started doing this. So you got thousands and thousands of people showing up with no one to herd them until after they were already there when it looks really bad if you have a phalanx of like black beetled up armored police coming in steamrolling people back. Especially if they're being peaceful. If you don't let them assemble or if you let them assemble in a place that is not easy for cameras to get, i.e. free speech zones, courtesy of the Bush administration, then it doesn't look as good on TV and you don't have that kind of galvanic pushback. Instead, they rushed it, they didn't coordinate it, and suddenly you have like hundreds of thousands of people from around the country showing up at different airports going... I like this new take on the Trump administration that they're a bunch of evil dummies. This is bringing me a lot of joy. I like the optimism, and I'm going to go so far as to say that we're going to end this week's episode uh, right there because, Jeb, you've got to go do fatherly duties now because there is a life outside um, us being attached to our Twitter feed and getting outraged about every new news story that breaks at the moment. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me again, man. This was a fun chat, and I feel feel better (laughs) just if you label them as idiots. It feels good. I'm sorry. Like I got, I'm, I'm completely on the wrong schedule of when I'm supposed to talk. Uh, no, I'm, I'm like, I'm thank you for letting me go. My, my, my son is only two and a half, but we have to enroll him in Mandarin classes already. Um, for when we <laughs> lose that war with China, which we will. Um, <laughs> also I want him to, I want him to be able to get into Choate and you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't know Mandarin, it's, it's no good. Oh, absolutely. No, you, you get him in there, you get him in quick. All right. Well, thank uh, thank you for wanting to do this. You you have to talk more next week. I can't. I mean, I I gotta. I I have to shut up next week. We have, what I'm gonna no, do is I'm gonna ask you way. a bunch of questions about. Uh, actually, we we should really talk about more of the overseas. Um, uh, how this is being covered because I, it is sort of extraordinary to open up a paper that is not from here and just see how the rest of the world is just going. Like, what the fuck is this? Sure thing. We will get into that, the the global view of how this is all being um, chewed over internationally, and particularly because every billionaire right now is threatening to come to New Zealand, and it's kind of scaring the shit out of us at the moment. Uh, but we will get into that uh, hopefully next week. Jeb, where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter at Mobute, that's M-O-B-U-T-E, or on Facebook at Jeb Lund's Word Salad. And I am Tim underscore Bat, B-A-T-T. My other sort of main podcast is uh, just a stupid comedy one where me and my friend Guy watch the same movie every week and keep reviewing it. This year, we are watching the Zac Efron stinker, We Are Your Friends, and it is called The Worst Idea of All Time, if you want to find that. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Keep your sanity. Keep your friends close. Keep your enemies at a distance and label them idiots. And keep your unit on you. (laughs) 